Who is Jesus? What is he doing? And what does it mean to follow him in the world today? My name is Matt Lewis. This is the Follower Podcast, and everyone is invited to the conversation. Hello, everybody, in Follower Podcast land. So we're at mountain number two. If you've been tracking the journey, these are some of my reflections on uh, what I was doing with YWAM Heronhut these last two, three months. And some sessions I'm talking to you just out of my own thoughts, and some sessions I'm inviting people in to share their stories um, about the things that I've been learning. And today we have my friend Emily Worm with us. Uh, so hi everyone. Emily. Hello Emily. <laughs> and Emily was actually my team leader as we were out on outreach the last couple of months. And she had an experience that really spoke into my, mm. uh, I guess, my awakening to this second mountain of staying, which I'll tell you about now. And uh, I wanted to really have a conversation with her around some of those thoughts. So we're going to jump into that conversation. Uh, and as you watch and as you listen, I really hope that there's stuff in this that will be helpful for you. So thanks for watching. So, uh, so we're at mountain number two. Okay. And this is called the mountain of staying. Mm-hmm. And it's about choosing beauty hmm. at the mountain of reality. Hmm. Okay. So for me, this truth happened when, um, I guess when we landed in, in Kathmandu. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So, and I, we've had this conversation already. Mm-hmm. I had in my mind, I guess, I had it in my mind, I want to say like a Walter Mitty picture of Nepal. <laughs> so I had in my mind like some kind of Tibetan monk on a mountain with a snow leopard. Yeah. And I was just going to be sit there, sitting there drinking mystical tea with him and <laughs> waxing lyrical about like the deep yeah. things of life. And then we landed in Kathmandu and it is anything but that. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. It's like, there's like smog everywhere you can barely breathe it's like really really thick smog thousands and bajillions and millions of people it's loud yeah, hooting, yeah, yeah. Pop, 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 <laughs> horns everywhere people shouting yeah. you walk out of the airport people want to random strangers want to take your bag yeah. you're going through the streets there's like stray dogs all of it was just it was just not what i experienced and mm-hmm. i th- or what i expected and i think if i'm very honest i was disappointed with that mm-hmm. i was disappointed with that and I had to then make a decision what to do with my disappointment. Mm. And this is why I'm calling this the, the mountain of staying, because I think we live in a culture that tries to avoid reality, mm-hmm. particularly in our Christian culture. Right? Mm-hmm. So much of our Christianity, so much of our following of Jesus is almost made like romantic yeah. and dressed up and looks really, really pretty. Yeah. Then we hit the reality of life, what it means to just be in the world and follow Jesus. Yeah. And we get super disappointed with that. And so because we get disappointed with what it is, we kind of, we miss what God is doing in the space, Mm. right? And I think I had some of that tension. I was like, I'd I'd gone on the adventure, flown in the plane, driven in the bus, come to this strange country, expecting expecting the Hollywood picture of it. And then it wasn't that. And in the face of that kind of, the disappointment with reality, I had to choose to see something new. And I think the best place that I kind of found language Mm. to put around what that choice was actually happened for me when a a couple of, like a month and a half later, we were winding down from our mission trip and we ended up going to this garden, Mm. right? Which was called the the Garden of Dreams. Garden of Dreams. Garden of Dreams. And it was a place you picked out for us as a team. I'd already been there. It's part of our debrief space. And so, uh, 
I don't know. I hear the word garden of dreams and I'm expecting something. <laughs> and so we pay money. We in, into, into this garden of dreams. Mm. And I remember a lot of people on the team were just not impressed. Yeah. Well, I'm trying to sell it too. Yeah. I'm like, oh guys, we're going to eat pizza. We had this like amazing meal. And then we're just going to relax in yeah. this beautiful garden. We're going to journal. We're going to hear from the Lord. Like this most beautiful space. This, this is what I'm thinking it yeah. is. And so setting it up and you're walking in there maybe not seeing that. <laughs> like, oh, shoot. I remember Monica, one of the girls on our team, yeah. she walks in, she looks at her, she goes, oh. <laughs> She's like, this is it. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> and uh, so I'm sitting on this bench yeah. and I'm journaling and reflecting and doing this stuff. Hmm. And you come up to me and I th you ask something like, um, something like, oh, you asked me, so what do you think about the garden? Yeah. Because yeah. I think you were reading. In the I team. knew at that point everyone hated it. <laughs> and, and I remember I said to you, that's okay. Yeah. But I don't really find Nepal beautiful. I don't yeah. find it beautiful. I don't find the city beautiful. I haven't found this experience to be beautiful in that sense. Yeah. And then you entered into this conversation where you started describing yeah. how you see Nepal. And how you find the beauty in Nepal. And man, that shifted my perspective. It, it, it opened my eyes to see a whole bunch of new things. Yeah. So tell me a bit about that conversation from your side. Yeah. Like, how did you experience that conversation? Yeah. Well, I think, yeah, coming in just with context, like, I'm, I'm excited to go to this garden. I'm excited to bring the team there. This is like, in my head, a really, really beautiful space. And we show up and everyone's clearly disappointed. One of the girls asked, um, I think it was three, no. Yeah, 30, no, 3,000 rupees, which is about like two euros. It was for the whole group per person, um, two euros per person. And so I'm thinking like, it's cheap, you know, we're in here, all this great stuff. And she's like, did we really spend this money on it? And I was like, oh man, like the team's disappointed. It's not living up to expectation. And so I was kind of going around asking people like, what do you think of it? Um, like, what do you like about it? Isn't this cool? And I think hitting a point, you were one of the last people I talked with of like, okay, no one really enjoys this. No one really likes this. And I was, if I'm honest, like I was frustrated and not at a place where I was angry or mad. I was just like, why aren't people seeing the things that I'm seeing and why aren't they enjoying this? Um, also context of like, it's a cloudy day. It had been raining all morning. Um, there's pollution in the air and it's also winter. So there aren't really any plants <laughs> they're, they're all dead they're, they were orange they're, flowers they're like <laughs> they're dead <laughs> it's just like tw twigs yeah but i i know that you know i'm like it's winter we're here can you imagine how it would be in the summer but also isn't it pretty how it is now just this space there's like all this beautiful marble architecture so um i knew a bit of the history it was uh started by the british in like the 1930s i want to say so it's not just some new random garden that they put up like there's been money invested in this in almost a century i'm like there's history here it's rich it's vibrant um people there's a lot of nepalese so people in the city are coming here and i'm talking with you and i'm just like man everyone hates this place yeah. and then you say you know i'm not really finding nepal beautiful um, and we had also come from Pokhara, a different city, which is like known for its beauty. Every Nepali's like, go to Pokhara, go to Pokhara, see the mountains. That's where you can go hiking. There's a beautiful lake. You can ride on boats. We had just come from this like uh, early morning sunrise where we watched the sun come up over the Himalayas, like beautiful stuff. Some of the most beautiful stuff I'd ever seen. And then I hear you share like, but it's not that beautiful. And um, 
I think I mentioned there's the garden in just north of Cape Town. Kirstenbosch mm, Garden. Yeah, Kirstenbosch yeah. Garden. That I was like, okay, it's not that. Because <laughs> I'd been there before and yeah. I knew it wasn't that. Yeah. But like, how do we find beauty in things of everyday life? Yeah. And we've been in this nation for almost three months. Like, you had to have found one thing beautiful. Yeah. And so I'm almost getting like righteously frustrated and like it's bubbling up with what I see that's beautiful and might not be like commercially beautiful. So we talk about that garden, Kirstenbosch Garden, that's yeah. mostly tourists are going to yeah. and is making bank, whatever, um, versus a garden like this that doesn't have money pouring into it yeah. or a city like this whose main purpose is not to be beautiful. How do we find beauty in that? So mm. I don't know, sort of this thing that was bubbling up in me of like, man, this is what I feel like I've been yeah. learning. This is what I study. This is what my degree is and how to look at things, how to find those pieces of beauty yeah. and that might not be, yeah, I can't think of any other way to say it besides commercialized mm. or sold to you as a product or as entertainment. How do we find yeah. that in every day? So, and then you start describing to me yeah. the things that you find yeah. beautiful. Yeah, because you, you asked, yeah. you're like nothing, I find nothing beautiful, what do you find beautiful? Yeah. And I was like, well, this and this and yeah. that. So tell us, yeah. so tell us, so what, yeah. what are those things? What you were looking at Nepal through your eyes, yeah. what are the things that struck you as yeah. beautiful? Yeah. Well, also, I just want to say with that conversation too, for you, it was like a marking moment. For me, I think I was just frustrated. <laughs> so like, we were talking about it this morning and I was like, well, I, I don't know what I've said. And you're yeah. like, oh, this is what you said. I was like, oh, yeah, 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 that's good. Um, what I find beautiful about the city was mostly just from the people from everyday life. Yeah. Um, I love color. There's so much color in Nepal. There are a lot of influences, especially in South Asia just like color and smell and like it's almost assaulting your senses, like how vibrant the cities can be. Also think about the way that food is prepared and served, how we're invited into families' homes and given a cup of warm tea without even asking for anything, um, how it's just hospitality is a, is a way of life and it's coming to this place where it's slowing down to meet with one another, that's a beautiful thing. I think about um, just even through these like little shops on every, uh, yeah, on every street corner that are selling just everyday goods, food, mm -hmm. you know, fruits, veggies, uh, rice, uh, noodles, that's where I get our noodles from, all that stuff. And you think about one shop owner who just kind of like throws everything out there and it's pretty haphazardous and like when you try and find stuff, you have no idea where it is versus the shop owner who takes the time to organize things by shape, by color. And so all the noodle packets are like, you know, perfectly yeah. parallel to one another. All the oranges are like stacked in this tower. That to me is beautiful. And I think as you were saying that, yeah. so you're telling me all these things in this garden where I'm underwhelmed. Yeah. yeah. And it, it's amazing. Like as you're telling me this yeah. stuff, it's like the garden starts changing Yeah. as I'm looking at it. And I'm yeah. going like, man, that is beautiful. That yeah. is beautiful. That is beautiful. Yeah. And what it reminded me of is, is that story of Isaac mm. and he's on his journey. He's going someplace. He ends up sleeping on a rock, right? So if ever mm. there's a reality that's not fantasy, it's that. Mm. There's no comfy bed. Mm. This is not like some kind of cool desert experience. This is the man sleeping yeah. on a rock. Yeah. <laughs> and yet there he has this dream of, of the gate of heaven, right? Mm. And I, I wrote down the words he says here, where he put it. He says, surely the Lord was with me in this place. Mm. And surely this is God's house, the gate of heaven. Mm. And I didn't even know it, right? Mm. And so his eyes were open to see not something new that was imported, yeah. but something that was always there. He just didn't have an ability to see it. Yeah. And I felt a little bit like that. It's like, as you were describing mm. 
you know, pour to me through your eyes, mm. my eyes were being opened. And I almost wanted to go back and experience it again yeah. through that lens. I wanted to be like, oh, let's go back there because I, yeah. I didn't have eyes to see, you know. Yeah. And then I just thought to myself, how true is that of our generation and of mm. followers of Jesus in the world? Very often we have this idea of what it'll look like to follow Jesus. Mm. We get to the, the reality of that. We're disappointed. And then we let that disappointment cloud our vision mm -hmm. instead of developing the eyes to see that actually right here in the disappointment, mm -hmm. that's where the gate of heaven is. That's where the yeah. house of God is, you yeah. know. And, and I wrote down a little phrase. I said, uh, how many times does the idol of fantasy mm. rub us of the miracle of eternity, mm. right? So when, when we are unable to lay down what we thought mm. something should be, we can't see God in the middle of what is. Yeah. And that's I think good. that's what that's what yeah. your story or perspective gave me eyes to see in that yeah. moment, you know. Yeah. And I guess for me, I wanted to ask how you learned that. Hmm. Where did you develop these eyes to see? What did they look hmm. like in your life? That's a good question, man. I also think, sorry, just with that quote you were sharing. I mean, that's from you. It's just <laughs> Matthew. Not really a quote. This is a quote. statement. <laughs> um, but there's so much like thinking of fantasy as temporary and happiness just being temporary versus if we're actually looking in and having an eternal perspective there's joy with it and so hopefully what was coming up in our conversation was joy being built up for the nation over the nation for the things we're seeing and i think that's the difference of when we talk about everyday life happiness something being temporary versus having joy that we're going through but yeah your question where did all of this begin? How did it start? Yeah, how did you yeah. develop these eyes? Right? Yeah, there you go. Yeah, yeah. So I always, I would always joke that the most important part of my body is my eyes. Um, for what I studied, I have a degree in art history. I worked in the art museum world. I worked in art education, and I was like, I can't lose my eyes. Like that's the most important thing that I have. Um, but I think it was more than just physically seeing, but developing a skill of sight and looking into things beyond what. Yeah, our eyes just naturally see, if that makes sense. Mm. Um, so kind of all this started, yeah, when I was in university. Um, I graduated about four years ago, and I lived in a really, really big city. Um, and the last year there, I got a dog, which is really cool. You get a dog in a city, you start to see the city differently. And I don't know if it was just, uh, yeah, like getting sad about me leaving. I knew I was moving out of the city or having the dog, whatever. But I started to explore my neighborhood. We'd go out on these long walks. And I realized, I was like, I've lived in this neighborhood for four years and I've never actually seen it. Mm. Like, I don't know who my neighbors are. I don't know what the house down the road looks like. I don't know where the street ends. And I started to discover all of that through the lens of, you know, the four years in that curriculum that I was developing in formal education, just practicing it on the streets and seeing things. Um, and also that process of me leaving university and kind of coming into knowing Jesus in a really, really personal way, that being opened up to everything. Mm. Um, and so I think a lot of that was also in there with becoming an art teacher where I was no longer looking at works that were in museums, but at kids' projects, which sometimes aren't that great, I'm gonna be mm. honest. Yeah, there's, yeah. there's messiness in it, there's stick figures, there's you know not any nice, formal, realistic pictures that are being made, but how do I actually look and see what's being created and see, wow, that's beautiful. Yeah. You have a great idea here, yeah. this is something, you know, or yeah. maybe it's not. Yeah. Um, and so kind of refining all of that, um, and in my walk with my Lord, really feeling like, as you talk about disappointment, um, being called into a time and maybe even a life change of looking intentionally at things that would normally just be 
everyday or boring or basic yeah. um, and trying to find beauty in that. So yeah. finding beauty in the houses that were in my street, um, finding beauty in the car rides to work, finding beauty in how I make coffee, the food that I eat, what clothes I wear, what books I'm reading, like daily stuff that's not these big endeavors of going to an art museum and looking at this masterpiece mm. or going to a foreign nation, but how do I find beauty in the everyday stuff? Um, and for me, a lot of that practice was like all these little things being put together um, from my degree and what I studied of taking time to slow down and actually look at things. So when I started working in art education, I realized that, man, people like run through museums at such a rapid pace. Um, statistically, if you go and visit a museum, people will look at an art object for eight seconds, which is like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. And then they're done, they move on. Mm -hmm. And um, they were saying that you should look at an art piece for anywhere from eight to 10 minutes to really study it, to really see it. And I thought, how many times am I going through life and seeing different things that even a person glancing at them for a few seconds, I'm not really seeing them. Or like as I'm eating my meal or as I'm driving to work, I'm just rushing to get someplace. I don't actually stop and slow down. And so for me, part of this conversation of, so we're talking about this mountain of staying and being present, the first part of that process is to be to slow down um, and to really look at something for longer than eight seconds, to be present with someone for longer than just a few seconds and mm. um, to really be there. And I think there was those little pieces that, yeah, built up to the conversation that we had where I could have this, I don't know, sort of list of items that I found beautiful. Yeah. It was because I was maybe taking time to see those So things. it's about slowness for you as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I think um, for me, part of the, the question then becomes, yeah. so people listening into this, mm -hmm. uh, a lot of them are never going to go to Nepal. Some of them, hopefully, maybe, will. maybe, who knows, we'll you know. But yeah. but the reality is, like, yeah. some people are are going to be at home, living in the world that they're living in, yeah. doing their thing, yeah. and yet are no less called to the purposes of God, are no less missionaries in their field, are no Amen. less yeah. whatever, you know. They're, yeah. they're trying to follow Jesus in the context yeah. where they are. And I think this idea of actually learning to stay and to choose beauty yeah. at the mountain of reality is yeah. key for. Uh, bringing a point of strength to the church that I think is needed at this mm -hmm. moment. And the reason I say that is because I think our generation and a lot of, uh, a lot of Christian people at the moment, we, we've been caught up in the kind of narrative of our, of our age, mm -hmm. which is that it's better somewhere else. Yeah. So we have this, yeah. uh, a friend of mine, he always says, he'll say an excess of choice is the root of all restlessness, mm -hmm. right? Because we have this idea that we can get something else. We can go somewhere else. If mm -hmm. our marriage doesn't work, mm -hmm. we'll end it and find a better one. If our kids mm -hmm. aren't great, mm -hmm. we'll just get a better one. If, I, <laughs> if you know, whatever the thing is, yeah. we'll just yeah, we'll true. just it's trade true. up, trade up, trade yeah. up. Stay happy. Yeah. Just keep yeah. numbing ourselves, keep anesthetizing ourselves mm -hmm. so that we never have to wake up from the dream, mm -hmm. right? And face the reality of our lives. Yeah. And when we do that, we rob ourselves of the kingdom that's present, not in the fantasy yeah. that we're trying to stay in, but in the reality of what yeah. is. So again, I think of my friend in Port Elizabeth and he's got uh, two kids. And I remember when I'd stay there and wake up in the morning and having to take his son to school. Yeah. And just the trauma of that, it's just real, <laughs> it's real. All the, all the parents in the world, they're yeah. just like, oh my gosh, that's yeah. intense. And yet they're in the midst of that reality yeah. as kingdom. 
you know, yes. and if we slow down enough yeah. and have eyes to see, we'll actually start to be, be able to figure out that not somewhere else, you know, even this video, I would hope it doesn't breed dissatisfaction in people's hearts, but I would, mm. I, I would hope it breeds a sense of inspiration yes. for them yeah. to realize that the same yeah. kingdom of God we discovered yeah. in some mountain village in the Himalayas, yeah. they can discover in the shop down the street, mm -hmm. in their kids' kindergarten, in the mm -hmm. university classroom, in mm -hmm. their heart, wherever they are, you know, mm -hmm. this ability to mm -hmm. stay in a mm. world that's calling us to be fleeting yes. and, and, and moving and moving and always chasing the next best thing. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what your thoughts are on that yeah. idea. Absolutely. And like, so what, I think my question is what practices do we have that slow us down? Mm. I mean, we've talked a lot just in our journey, past six months being together. What is the process of like, you know, contemplative prayer? And how do I, how do I experience silence and solitude in the morning? How do I take the time to slow down? For me, like that's a spiritual discipline that I'm still developing. I mm. still kind of suck at. Like, what are what are the disciplines? What are ways that we can do that? So it's not just like, okay, I gotta find beauty. Gotta find beauty. What are? I guess I'm throwing back a question to you. I don't yeah, know. <laughs> yeah. So what are ways that we do that? Yeah, absolutely. And yeah. I think that's why slowing is so key yeah. in a world of pace. Yeah. Uh, we, you know, hurry. Dallas Willard talks about how hurry. Mm -hmm is the enemy of the soul, mm -hmm. right? John Ortberg, he's mm -hmm. talking to Dallas when he says, uh, mm -hmm. hey Dallas, if I could do one thing to grow my re relationship with Jesus, what mm -hmm. would it be? And Dallas says to them, you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life, mm -hmm. you know? John Mark Comer just recently brought out, brought out this book, The, title, the, the Ruthless yeah. Elimination yeah. of Hurry. And there he's yeah. talking about it, and I think it's, it's a truth of our time, is mm -hmm. that we're caught up in hurry sickness, and how mm -hmm. sometimes slowing down doesn't bring something we don't have, Mm -hmm. It opens up our eyes to see what we do have. Yeah. That in fact, the gate of heaven, the house of God, yeah. is right there in the living room with your crazy kids. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know what I yeah. mean? It's yeah. right there in your dorm room as a yeah. single student in your, in your varsity yeah. or your college. It's, mm -hmm. it's right there. And that's mm -hmm. not to say that God won't call you to a nation or call you on a great mm -hmm. adventure. All that stuff is true. But I think mm -hmm. if we develop a spirituality where we have to consistently... Uh, chase the next adrenaline rush yeah. to stay interested in Jesus. And I think this it's is maybe exhausting. exactly right. This and, is exhausting. and this is maybe where yeah. our tribe of Christianity, yeah. and I talk about evangelical Christianity here, mm -hmm. we're a bit guilty of this, hmm. is that we, whenever we feel the ebb of our emotions, hmm. we just uh, medicate that with another high experience. Sure. So we just worship ourselves into a frenzy, yeah. or we just we listen to the next song, or we get the next preacher, yeah. we, and we never allow ourselves to sit in the discomfort of, a, of reality yeah. and to find Jesus there, you know. Yeah. And I think what you helped me see is that the beauty was around me all the time. Mm -hmm. I just needed to stop at longing for the Walter Mitty version of that. Yeah. I needed to embrace what was. Yeah. And when I embraced what was, the kingdom was waiting for me there in the mm -hmm. midst, you know. Yeah, and when does that, for those moments, they kind of start and end? And so how do we, as we're talking about beauty, as we're talking about staying, how do we stay in that place and how are we rooted out of a place of noticing beauty and mm. recognizing kingdom all around us? Um, and I think for me, that kind of goes back to to sort of, I hate to like bring it down to a spiritual mm. discipline. I wouldn't even say it's, it's all spiritual, but two disciplines that I've kind of developed. Um, the first is just turning down noise around me. 
And so, you know, you go on these crazy adventures or you have these beautiful moments, graduations, birthday parties, you get a new job, you get a new car, whatever, and it's loud and it's exciting, but what happens when that kind of wears off? And so turning down noise around us to help us recognize the beauty in the everyday. Um, for me, there's this one artist that I actually um, got to meet and uh, hear share like a talk. Um, his name is Nick Cave, he's a performance artist and he creates these beautiful costumes that are called, they're called sound suits. So they're made out of materials that produce sound. They're made of like sticks and buttons and beads and bells and just crazy, they're ornate, they take hundreds of hours to make. And he has a rule in his studio in Chicago that when you're working on these suits, um, it's completely silent. So as you're creating something that has sound, um, turning down every other noise around you to really focus on the detail and see the beauty of what you're creating and working at. And so for me, I felt convicted of like, man, as I'm walking around the city, as I'm driving to work, like it's so um, normal for me to just listen to music or have mm, noise going on, listening to a podcast. But listen to this one. Do listen to Do this listen one. To this one. Uh, but turning down some of that noise around me to be present and to be focused, and that's where this contemplative practice of silencing yeah. your soul, stilling yourself, yeah. it really comes and back And you see to, Jesus doing yeah. that, going away, yeah. you know, pulling away, yeah. we see that in his life. Yeah, and so turning down other noises so that you can focus on kind of what's in front of you. Um, as well, uh, just another practice of, um, I kind of stopped taking photos for a while, and like every often I'll take a picture on my phone, but for the most part, I want to see what's in front of me through the eyes that the Lord gave me. Yeah. And so not, um, which I think kind of goes along with like just, you know, Instagram filters and what yeah, we're seeing see. being yeah. presented and put out in the world. Like how do we actually focus on what's right in front of us, the reality of it. And so putting down our phones, focusing on conversations, focusing on people, yeah. focusing on, you know, new things that are happening around us, um, kind of settling ourselves into it and being excited for, yeah, the mundane, yeah. like seeing God work in, I don't know, getting excited about little projects that are happening in yeah. your neighborhood. Oh my gosh, a new neighbor is moving in, or this thing's happening at my church, or I don't know, this new restaurant that's coming up in my city. Like, how am I seeing those things um, presently and being aware of the things that are happening without being stuck on my phone or stuck on whatever music yeah. is coming out of my speakers? Like, how am I present and yeah. still in there? I remember yeah. there was a time on outreach when I actually deleted Instagram off yeah. my phone. Yeah. Like two weeks or something. Are you still off Instagram? Yeah, yeah I'm off. Yeah. Uh, by the time yeah. this will be on, I'll be back like on because you have to use the platform. Yeah. And I, I think there, you know, I'm not making a case for us to go back to the Stone Age. Sure. I'm so grateful yeah. for technology yeah, and what yeah, it yeah. offers us. But I do yeah. think you're right. There needs to be mm -hmm. a real discernment about what mm -hmm. we need. And I know when I shut down all that stuff, yeah. peace rose up in my soul. Absolutely. It was like a cloud fog, fog cleared from my mind. Like, yeah. Like just taking away all that external stimulus yeah. and all that stuff that is built around the presentation of the better. Mm -hmm. Nobody's going to take a picture of their worst selves and put it on Instagram. Yeah. You know, yeah, all yeah, of yeah. that is. Yeah. And so that breeds in us the spirituality of escape. Yes. And so if we're not careful, that, that makes us incredibly yeah. dissatisfied with where we are. And we end up missing the kingdom of God in the reality mm. of our situation, mm. you know. Mm -hmm. And so I love those two things, man. Mm -hmm. Slow down, mm -hmm. make it quiet, yeah. turn off some stuff. Because yeah. also saying yes comes with a no, yeah. right? So if we want to say yes to the kingdom of God's here, then that, that also implies saying no to a bunch of other yeah. stuff. You know, every yes is loaded with a no. That's, yeah. that's it. Yeah, man, that's good. Yeah.
Hey, Emily, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your time and thank you yeah. for leading me through Africa. Thanks for good. letting me lead you. Yeah. Thanks, yeah. guys. Yeah. And thanks for listening in. I hope this was helpful for you. And as always, this is a new podcast. So <laughs> referrals, ratings, all those good things. And if you want to have more of this kind of conversation and you found like this has been really helpful for you, mm-hmm. get hold of me. MattLewis.co.za. Love to chat to you more. Mm-hmm.